Luke chapter number 6, if you'll find that in your Bibles. If this passage seems familiar, Brother Gaddis last week preached basically this passage in the book of Matthew. And so you're asking, well, why am I doing that again? Um, I thought I better fix what he did. So, <laughs> is this sitting on live stream or anything? Is it? Actually, I asked him if it, would it make sense to, out of a different book and with a little bit of different focus, use the, basically the same passions that he used. I think, and he said certainly would. So, kind of a follow up to that message last week that Brother Gaddis preached. Look at verse number six in Matthew in Luke six. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he, that's Jesus, entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand, notice Luke very specific, was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him. Whether he would heal on the Sabbath day. <laughs> that's almost comical that they might find an accusation against him. <laughs> but he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. And then Jesus said unto them, these Pharisees, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life? Or to destroy it. Notice they didn't answer. And looking round about them all. He said unto the man. With the hand. The withered hand. Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. Whole as the other. And they were filled with joy. And gladness and celebration. They were filled with madness. And communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. Man with a withered hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thankful for the music that we've heard thus far. What a blessing. Thankful for it. Would you open our hearts to the truth that you have for us this morning? Would we have listening ears? Would we respond? And right in our, right in our midst, right here in this room, could be one who doesn't know Christ I pray they would leave with the assurance of their salvation. Others who have hurts, who have burdens, who have cares, would today, would today, they cast those on your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> this man with a withered hand. I'm going to guess that there's something about yourself that you... Uh, try to hide. In other words, you know what I mean. You don't want everyone to know something about yourself and you're pretty adept at concealing it. When you were little, when you were running around on the playground, do you remember how you concealed your true feelings about that little girl? Yeah, you pushed her down. And that's how you hid the fact. That you really liked her. And I understand 
this, you'll understand this, most of you, when you buy your clothes. That's why they have those big mirrors there. They're not funhouse mirrors, hopefully. That make No, they show, and then you buy clothes that will hide uh, certain areas of yourself. You know what I mean. You don't want to accentuate what you don't want accentuated. <laughs> We're good at hiding things. You know, years ago, uh, it's been several years ago now, I didn't wear glasses, and um, Brother Sam was pastoring, and it was my, one of my responsibilities was to read the scripture at the close. Uh, Brother Perkle does that, reads the scripture on Sunday morning, and that was my responsibility uh, back then. And I, I, you know, getting bifocals, come on. Old people do that, right? And so I don't need that. And then what was happening, I found, was as I was reading the closing scripture, I was making up parts of it. <laughs> I really was, I was just hoping. I hope that this is the right word because I can't get far enough away to read. And I was, oh, this isn't good. I don't even know if this is King James I'm saying. I have no clue. And it got so bad, I finally broke down. And, you know, I was trying to hide the fact that I couldn't really see well. And so all of us, we have something we would rather not make public. And it might be something physical, or but it might be something inside. And it, it could be uh, fear that you're hiding or some discouragement or, or depression or anger, jealousy. It could be some thoughts that are just wicked and vile or it could be some secret sin. And as we're talking about it, you're thinking about it, but no one else knows. But think of this. We can hide from others. and I can hide from you my true innermost thoughts and maybe even my physical limitations and I can hide my feelings and I can even hide my sin from you. But you know and I know there's one that we don't hide anything from. I used to say, and I'm sure you did too, that your mother had eyes in the back of her head. And if your mom was like my mom, just something, she could just look at you and no, something's not right. Something's up with you. And she could tell that you were having a bad day or upset or something. But your mom didn't see everything. God knows everything. And he knows when you failed and he knows when you slipped. And he knows the sin that you're trying to keep secret. And he knows your innermost thoughts. He knows your hurt. He knows your pain. And he knows that sometimes that smile you wear is just your way of hiding from all of us. Hebrews, Paul put it this way. All things, all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In our story, the account right before our story, you remember, Brother Gaddis talked about it last week. The Pharisees got all in a big tizzy because Jesus and his disciples went out through the fields and they plucked some grain. And, and of course, you can't work on the Sabbath. And here they were out there harvesting. That's bad. That's bad. And so in verse number five, Jesus said, listen, 
I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I run the Sabbath. It's about me. I'm God and I'm above whatever traditions you have out here. And, and, and whatever, uh, the temple even, I'm bigger than the temple, I'm greater than the temple, I'm greater than Sabbath. Think about that. He's saying, listen, da- you remember when David took the showbread from the, from the temple so he would be able to have something to eat? I'm greater than David. And as you can imagine, the Pharisees were not excited about this. To think that Jesus would say he's greater than the Sabbath, he's greater than the temple, he's greater than David. So now in verse number six, again, another Sabbath rolls around. And I don't think as he enters this synagogue in verse six, this just a coincidence or just an accident that he's about to meet this man who has this hidden problem. Because if you ever noticed in the New Testament as you watch the life of Christ, it just seems like nothing was accidental or just happenstance. He didn't just accidentally show up at a well and some woman come to get water. He didn't just happen to be going through Jericho and look up and see a guy in a tree. I mean, over and over again, things were, it was purposeful. It seemed to be just at the spur of the moment, but it wasn't. It was happening on purpose. He was doing these things with purpose and reason. And I just stopped when I was thinking about it said, wait a minute, you know, in my own life, things that came my way, it wasn't just by accident. It wasn't an accident. I was in church on a Wednesday night in April of 1979 and responded to the gospel. It wasn't an accident. And you have the same testimony. It wasn't an accident you met this person and then you heard this. It wasn't an accident you showed up and there at a revival, at a church service, but somebody invited you and you accepted an invitation. It wasn't an accident you had this friend, you had this co-worker. I'm just telling you, those things are not accidental. And as Jesus enters the synagogue in verse number six and teaches, there's a purpose here. There's someone he needs to see. There's a life that needs change. There's his, someone needs to see his power. There's, someone needs to believe. And so the scribes and the Pharisees watch to see what he's going to do. Is he going to do what he did last week? Is he going to break the Sabbath again? And it's so hard for us to imagine he'd be so focused. The Pharisees would be so focused on the rules that they wouldn't even care that a person could possibly have their life changed. They could be healed on this day. Didn't matter because we've got our rules. So you read in front of him, in front of all of them, he healed this man. And rather than be thankful with him, That his life was going to be changed and he was no longer hiding this problem that he had. It says they're filled with madness. I knew he would break the rules again. And it's almost like they saw a miracle every day. Just couldn't have one on that day. And so they were so enraged at Jesus. The Bible says they begin to huddle together. They're going to figure out how are we going to get 
rid of Jesus. We can't have him going around healing people on Sabbath, breaking our rules. There's a couple big lessons I want to see from this story. Number one, the first lesson is this. There are people who are hurting in the world and some hide it. Some hide it. And number two, notice this. Jesus is the Lord of everything. Even those things that cause our pain. He's the Lord. So look at number one. There are hurting people in the world. And notice we don't know anything really about this man except this one thing. His right hand is withered. We don't know his background. You don't know his, the cause of his condition. You don't know his age. All you know is he is a man who is hurting his hand, his right hand, the word withered. In other words, it's useless. It, he can't use his right hand under any circumstance. And Luke being very specific, the doctor, Luke, always being very specific when it comes to things like this, points out his right hand. That hand that you hold out to expect when you're ready to meet someone and shake their hands, it's always your right hand that you lead with. Can you imagine that he would keep that hand that is withered and ugly hidden? He would keep it hidden. You know, to this very day, if, if you, some of you have traveled or know that in Middle Eastern, many Middle Eastern countries, it's considered very rude to use your left hand for certain things. In India, Nepal, and most of the Arab countries, your left hand is considered unclean. You remember the Old Testament story of, of Ehud, who, did a, who dispatched fat King Eglon because he was left-handed and no one suspected a left-handed person would be able to pull a dagger and stab and kill the king. According to what I read that goes, says this, two-thirds of the world's population look at those born with left hand, left-handed with distrust. So for you out there... We don't trust you, <laughs> you lefties. Something about you. I always felt sorry for you in school, trying to do that. There's always one in class, you know, and they drag your arm across the paper and smear it. It went out. Now, I'm old enough to when the teacher would try to, are you sure you could not write right-handed? Now, this man, it... Can you imagine this time frame he's living now? In that world, left hand, kind of considered unclean, not able to use his right. And I'm sure he could work and be productive perhaps, but as a disadvantage for sure. Not only because he only had one hand that was usable, but it was his left hand. And maybe it was that way from birth. Perhaps he was born with this issue. And if he was born with this issue where his right hand isn't useful, isn't usable at all and withered and perhaps ugly. Can you imagine growing up? Come on. You grow up in a society where it's already you're left handed because you can't 
It's the only one you have. And now your right hand is in this situation that it is in. And you can imagine growing up and the cruelty and the taunts of children. Those are things, hey, those are things that stay with a person. Some of you grew up hearing things said about you because of something you really couldn't help. They might have stayed with you for a long time. Or it could be his condition was different. Maybe he had an accident. And since most people are right-handed, can you imagine if he had an accident where his right hand was affected and now he had to retrain himself? If I had to retrain myself to do everything with my left hand, it'd be sad. It'd be sorry. Maybe that's what had happened. And maybe he really didn't think about it. And maybe there were times he almost forgot until he saw others at work or at play and live normal lives. Can I tell you, the world is full of hurting people. But sometimes they wear a mask of happiness to hide what's on the inside. You know, one of the problems we've gone through lately, oh, I hope I never have to put one of these on again. Don't you love these? These are so much fun. You know, one of the issues that you found wearing this around, you go into a store. Everybody's got this, right? We all look the same. Somebody says hi to you. You can't tell if they're mad or not. You can't tell. Are they, are they happy I'm here? Are they sticking their tongue out at me? So much was hidden, is hidden behind here, isn't it? So much of the clues and the signals we get from each other with our smile or our frown or the looks. So you can see a little with the eyes, but not enough. And so you've experienced that. You missed how people really feel because it was all behind this mask. And it kind of hid what was going on. Can you kind of think that way that there are many and maybe some in this room who carry with them pain that no one sees. And maybe it's something that they carry from their childhood and their home and what took place maybe and some abuse that happened or something that went on with their parents or, or things that they really had no control and so they carry that with them. And then there's adults and some of you who may be disappointed with what's happened in your life and the way things have turned out. And maybe you're not as successful as you thought you would be or wish you would be. And your own expectations haven't been met for yourself. And right in this room, there may be some who've had disappointments with children or your marriage. And maybe your life because of sin and bad choices. Just wickedness that you've allowed your life has gone a direction you didn't really want it to go. And then you know there are those who seem to be having the time of their life. And they're living their life, it seems, to the fullness. And that all along, you know what they're doing? They're drowning all their pain with alcohol and drugs and some kind of sinful lifestyle. And so they can put that up. And it just looks like to us, man, things are going great with them. And I'm telling you. All around you, where you shop, your coworkers, your neighbors, 
people who deliver your food because you don't have to go out and get your food anymore. And people who give you change at the store and people who work at the bank. I'm telling you, people everywhere are wearing masks. But it's not just out there. I'm telling you, it's in church. It's right here. Because we come to church and this is where God's word is preached and this is where there's songs sung of praise to him and we shake hands or we bump fists and we smile and we have fellowship together and we enjoy, at least on the outside. But for many, that's a mask because inside they're discouraged or disappointed or angry or depressed or they're carrying, can I use this word, baggage from their past. And they're going to smile and they're going to shake hands and, and all along they're just wishing, they're wishing someone could see behind that mask. Someone could help. Because I'm telling you, as believers, we're not exempt. We aren't above the circumstances of life. And the devil, he's great, he's adept at using all those circumstances that we all will face to crush our spirits. And you've seen it in the Bible. Some of God's great servants had times where they were in a deep valley. Remember when Elijah, Elijah found himself in a valley after a great, a great victory. The prophets of Baal lay dead. And one woman threatened him. One lady. Well, I shouldn't say lady. One woman threatened him. And the next time we see him, he's sitting under a tree, ask, literally asking God to take his life. Discouraged, depressed. God, just kill me. You know what's great about that story? It's how God responded. He fed him. Let him sleep a while. And then later he said, now Elijah, what are you doing here? You remember John the Baptist sat in prison? And John the Baptist, who had baptized Jesus and had witnessed the Spirit descend and was one of the most bold, if we're going to say, was John the Baptist bold? Everybody in here would say he was bold. A bold preacher of the gospel. Remember, he's the one that said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And now he sits in prison. And can you imagine as you sit in prison, you... Perspective changes a little. He began to doubt. In fact, he even told a couple of his friends, go ask Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one? And Jesus responded, go, listen, he says, he says, go tell, go tell, uh, go tell John that the, the sick are healed. And the gospels preached. You remember Peter? We give Peter such a hard time. I mean, he deserves some of it, but not all of it. After he said he wouldn't deny, he denied. And the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. But can you, do you remember what Jesus said to him before all that? He said this. Jesus' words to Peter, I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. 
so that a believer would find himself in a valley, that a believer would find himself in a dark place. That's not, number one, it's not unusual. It's not necessarily sinful. In fact, David even wrote in Psalm 23, yea, though I go through the valley, but that a believer would live in a valley. That he would continue to be discouraged or angry or disappointed or hurt. Can I tell you, that is a choice. And it's not a choice that God wants us to make. Yeah, but I've been treated unfairly. Well, Jesus was treated unfairly. Yeah, but you don't know. I, I suffered when I wasn't guilty. Why Jesus suffered when he wasn't guilty. Yeah, but you don't understand. Other people have criticized and made accusations and they've impugned my motives. Uh-huh. Happened to Jesus too. Well, it didn't turn out the way I hoped. And things didn't go the way I wanted them to go. And I've been disappointed in how others treated me. And I've been in, even disappointed in myself. And whatever, listen, whatever valley you may have be facing, whatever's going on in your life that's causing you some darkness and some dark times, listen to Isaiah 53. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Could it be you focus more on your circumstances and not the Lord over your circumstances? Have you forgotten that Jesus, listen, Jesus made an amazing offer to all of us. And that's this. You can put all your cares, all your worries, all your hurt, all your pain, all your disappointments. You can give that to him. And he said, I will carry it. It's in our pride that we say, I want to do it on my own. When he's able, he can handle it. He'll carry it for you. And right in this room, no doubt, are hurting people. But listen to this, number two. Jesus was always seeking out hurting people. In fact, Jesus liked to go where there were hurting people. Think of it in the New Testament. He went to the cemetery. Why would you go to a cemetery? Because there was hurting people there. There were family members and they were feeling the pain of separation and they had lost their friend and their, their mate and their family member. And then all of a sudden Jesus comes. You remember the pool of big word? You remember the pool in that town? <laughs> And the Bible says that people who had all kinds of diseases would lay by the pool. And evidently the tradition was an angel would come and he would stir up the pool. And the first one that, that got in was healed. That was the tradition anyway. And they're all just laying there with slender threads of hope. Maybe I'll be the one. Jesus comes. There's that woman who was so full of pain broken relationships, one after another, broken dreams, people whispering about her behind her back, angry, even hostile as she comes to the well and sees Jesus sitting there. Her life was changed forever. And you can say, why well, the side of the road and, and, and here comes Jesus and, and, and the guy who's too short to see anything and he wants to see what's going on. So he climbs up in a tree and here he is, even though on the outside it looks like he has everything. He's been a cheater and he's scammed and he has no friends and he's guilty and he knows it. And here comes Jesus. And in the synagogue, in verse number six, 
since a man with a, whose right hand is useless and withered, and I'm going to tell you, probably hiding that fact, doesn't want, to, doesn't want to make it known to everyone who already knows what he's got going, his problem. And so Jesus comes. He didn't shy away from people who looked bad. Jesus didn't shy away from people who didn't necessarily act spiritual. Did you know Jesus didn't even shy away from people who didn't know the church words or who had bad reputations or were obvious sinners? In fact, he was even accused of spending time, can you believe this, with sinners. That was the one thing he was guilty of that they accused him. And then right in, just think of this, right in your workplace, right next to you, in your house, someone you know, someone you rub shoulders with is someone who could really be hurting. And their laughter or their lifestyle is just a mask. Well, what would Jesus do? Young people, there's hurting people at school. They're in the store, they're in church. And instead of avoiding those people or running from those people or ignoring those people, Jesus went after those people. And he talked to those who others wouldn't give a second glance. And he reached out to lepers when people wouldn't even give a thought. And can I tell you, if you're here without Christ and you don't know him, you may be filled with the hurts and the heartaches of your life, but your greatest need is not physical and your greatest need is not financial and your greatest need is not that this would change in your life. Your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven. And Jesus said, I am come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus wants to save you, forgive you of your sins, give you peace in the middle of a storm, put a new song in your heart. And you may think even right now, well, no one knows my pain and no one even cares. And that could almost be true. But there's one who knows and there's one who cares. And he has gone to great lengths to draw you to him. And if you're a believer in this room, if God, think of this, if God was willing to forgive you of your sin and give you a home in heaven, is there something that's going on in your world, in your life that's too big? And so rather than trying to hide it and wear a mask and try to keep him from seeing what he already knows, why not just give it to him? He says, just give it to me. My heartaches, just give it. Why carry burdens when I can give them to him? And why carry disappointment when I can give it to him? And why carry guilt when I can give it to him? And why carry fear when I can give it to him? Why carry my past around with me when I can give it to him? Now think of this, Jesus then heals a man. But notice it may be different from some of the healings that we read about. It was not without the man's involvement. Now think of this. Jesus says to the man um, in verse 8, all right, come here, guys, stand up in front of everybody. Well, <laughs> no one wants to be have that. I mean, I teach class at Heartland called Teaching Bible. And in the first day, sometimes I'm really mean about this and sometimes it just depends on how I feel. So I'll say, all right, who's here scared? You shouldn't have raised your hand. 
Come here, stand up here. Oh, red. They're going to die. It's all mostly ladies, and so they're, they're not, anyway, you know, they're fearful and scared. And, and I tell them, did you know if you pulled the world, they have like a list of the worst things that could ever happen to them. One is like nuclear annihilation. <laughs> Two, to get up in front of somebody. <laughs> Literally, that's the truth. And can you imagine this guy who's been trying to hide from people, especially his weak, the thing he's got, his disability, his problem. Here, stand up here and let everybody look at you. Oh, my word. Can you kidding? The worst thing that ever happened is going to be on the spotlight and compound that with the fact he's been hiding. He already has something that makes him self-conscious. And he already has something that he doesn't want anyone to know. And what could be worse than have everyone's eyes on your pain? What could be worse? And then if it doesn't get any worse, it does. Because then he says, all right, do the one thing. Hey, guy, do the one thing you can't do. Do the one thing you would never do. And we want everyone to watch. Let's see your hand. Now, first question you have to ask, how did Jesus know he had a withered hand? I'm saying he's hiding it. I'm pretty convinced he doesn't want anyone to know. And he's, he's adept at hiding it for years. He knows how to hide it. And he doesn't make it public. So then you have to ask yourself another question. What does go unnoticed by him? What can we hope to hide? Now, you that have been married for a while can relate to this. In April, my wife and I will celebrate 40 years of marriage. You know what I can hide from my wife? Nothing. <laughs> None. She finishes my sentences. She knows what I'm thinking. She knows all my weaknesses. She knows my strengths. I can have no secrets from her. If she'll say, this is true, ask her. She'll say, look at my face and tell me. <laughs> Might as well forget it. I can't hide anything from that lady at all. How can you imagine? The hand that he had kept hidden from the one who knows all. And whether, listen, whether we're hiding from those who, who know you the best or whether we're hiding from God, it doesn't matter because he knows all. I, I'm wondering, would the man have been healed if he would have refused to stand up and stretch out his hand? I think it was optional. It was based on his obedience. Jesus offered it, and the man had to respond. And then he was healed. If you're in this room and you've been born again, can I tell you, and I hope you're not confused, can I tell you, you didn't wake up one morning, one day, and boom, you were saved. It doesn't happen that way. You were confronted with your sin and you're standing before God and you understood the offer of salvation and you chose to accept it. Then you were saved. Amen. 
And no one is born into salvation. Have you ever talked to someone and said, are you a Christian? Oh, I've been one all my life. Really? You're the first. Because no one's born into salvation. No one's I've always believed. There's this new birth. This second birth. And your second birth should be as memorable to you as your first was to your mother. That's what it means to be born again. And if you aren't saved, it's not because God decided that before you were ever born that he wasn't going to save you. It's because you've made a decision not to respond to his offer of salvation. The healing for the soul. Because either you decide I can do it myself or you're too embarrassed to admit I got a problem. I'd rather not anyone know about it. And so I'm just going to try to hide it. It brings me to this point. God uses, think of this, God uses imperfect people to demonstrate his perfect mercy and power. If you were this man, would you not have the thoughts, especially the time frame that he's living, that my life is not near as important as other people? My problem makes it harder for me to function. I live in a world, in his mind, I live in a world of perfect people and I'm imperfect. Have you ever felt that way? You were, I'm the only one. I'm imperfect and everyone around me is perfect. Everyone's more talented. Everyone's better looking. Everyone has a perfect life. Everyone has a perfect relationship. Everyone has perfect children. Everyone has perfect everything but me. And maybe your imperfection, to be honest, is readily visible. Or maybe you hide it well. But the truth is the same. Jesus uses imperfect people and regardless of what you're wearing, we're all imperfect. Every one of us. And so what does Jesus do with these imperfect people? Well, sometimes he uses imperfect people to demonstrate his power. And he takes those who are in the depths of sin and he puts them on solid rock because only he has the power to do that. You can't do it through a 12 step, I'm telling you. And you can't do it through some book and you can't do it by listening to Joel Osteen or going to some counselor. He demonstrates his power because he has the power to take us from sin to salvation. When it comes to just our bodies, does not he demonstrate his power? Sometimes through the surgeon's ability and skill. Sometimes, have you not seen him demonstrate his power and all the doctors just scratch their head? Because he uses us to demonstrate his power. Oftentimes, he also uses imperfect people to demonstrate his grace. Think of that. He takes those with burdens and those with cares and those with problems and those with baggage and he puts a joy in his heart and only grace can do that and he takes those who hurt and gives peace and he takes those whose bodies maybe even have disease and problems and he gives them what he gave Paul and Paul in 2 Corinthians he said my grace is sufficient for thee but this is true always he demonstrates his love. 
No one in this room, no one listening by live stream can ever say that what they got from God was something other than love. If this man had left the synagogue that day with the very same condition, nothing had happened, would he be able to say that God didn't love him? No. If I pray and I ask God to heal my loved one, if I pray and ask God to intervene in some situation in my life and it doesn't happen that way or my loved one doesn't get healed or it doesn't go the way I prayed or the way I wish, does that mean that God doesn't love me? And anytime we have that question, whether God loves us or not, and the cares of life sometimes bring us so low, we'll even be able to doubt if we're not careful the love of God. Can I just point you to the cross? Because forever it says, I love you. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord over the Sabbath. He's Lord over that. He proved he's Lord over disease. He's Lord over the universe, over nature. He's even Lord over you. He's Lord over the Pharisees. Because as they proved, you can reject his lordship for a time, as they did. But the Bible says those who hate him or reject him, even them, they'll bow, the Bible says. They will, every knee will bow. And if Jesus is Lord, and Lord over everything, including you, what is the point of trying to hide something from the one that you can't hide anything from? And why not just give it to him? And in the process of doing that, others will see. God's sure working in that person's life. They gave their inability and they gave their hurt and they gave their pain and they gave their past and they couldn't deal with it and they gave it to God and God worked a miracle. Look at the joy. They took the mask off and we can see what's going on. Listen to this little story. Charlotte was an invalid from her youth and deeply resented the constraints of her handicap placed on her. And in an emotional outburst on one occasion, she expressed those feelings to a minister visiting her home. He listened and was touched by her distress. But he insisted that her problem should not divert her attention from what she most needed to hear and he challenged her to turn her life over to God and to come to him just as she was with all her bitterness and anger. And she resented what seemed to be an almost callous attitude on his part. But God spoke to her through him and she committed her life to the Lord. And each year on the anniversary of that decision, she wrote him a letter encouraging her or encouraging him to keep on and he in turn encouraged her to be strong in the faith even as a Christian and she still had doubts and struggles at times. One particular sore point to her was her inability to effectively get out and serve the Lord. She resented her brother who was a preacher and he was successful. She resented him. She longed to be used of God herself. But she felt her health and physical condition prevented it. Then in 1836, 14 years after her conversion, she's alone one evening. 47-year-old Charlotte Elliott wrote her spiritual autobiography 
in verse. Here in the prayer of confession, she poured out her feelings to God. Feelings that countless individuals have identified with in the generations that followed. And many years later, when reflecting on the impact his sister made, the Reverend Henry Elliott said, in the course of a long ministry, I hope I have permitted to see some fruit of my labors, but I feel far more has been done by a single hymn of my sisters, just as I am without one plea. So what are you hiding? Can I tell you, Jesus knows what it is. And he's willing and he's able to carry that load. And in the process, you can also be a shining light of God's love and his grace. Do you know him this morning? Do you know the forgiveness of sins? Do you know the peace that he says passes all understanding that only those who know him can have? This morning, I invite you to come and let us take a Bible and show you how to be saved. And believer, whatever it is that you may be carrying, stop carrying it. Stop hiding it. Give it to him. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'd like to ask a question of you before we have a time of invitation. Who would say, Brother Ted, I know I'm, I'm not everything necessarily I should be as a believer. But I know this. There was a time I received Christ. As my Savior, I know that my sins are forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven based on the fact that I've received him. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand? All over. Amen. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Is there anyone who would say, Brother Ted, pray for me this way. I'm not sure of my salvation. I'm, I'm confu either confused about it or I know I'm not saved. I don't have that peace. I don't, I don't want to go to hell. I'm not 100% sure that heaven would be my home. I'm concerned enough about it that I would raise my hand so you can remember me in prayer. If that's you, I want to remember you here in just a minute as I pray. If you'll just raise your hand so I can see, just is there one? Brother Ted, pray for me about my salvation. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm concerned enough that you would pray, anyone all over, up in the balcony. Thank you. Is there a believer who would say, Brother Ted, I've been carrying around some baggage, some hurt, some pain. I've been hiding it well, but I know Jesus knows. This morning, I want to give him that. I want to stop caring whatever it is. I want to, I want to just be free of the guilt, the pain, the disappointment, my past, whatever it is, however God spoke to you. Is there one say, Brother Ted, pray with me about that. That's how God spoke to me today. Would you pray with me? Let me see, yes, I see hands. Yes, I see several, amen. Thank you all over. Heavenly Father, you've spoken to some hearts. You maybe there was no hands that went up, but it could be that one who doesn't know Christ right in this room I pray that as we have a time of invitation that they would come forward here. Let us take a Bible and show them how to be saved. They could leave this place knowing that their eternal security, their eternity is secured. Heaven is their home. Their sins forgiven. Lord, if you've spoken to any hearts that way, would you have, would they come forward? And many believers raise their hands. However you've spoken, 
I pray that we're listening and responding in Jesus' name.